Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Often when we read our Bibles, whether it's a story in the Old Testament, a psalm, or as in the case today, a parable from the Gospel, the first thing that we begin to ask ourselves, we read a passage and we try and draw a moral lesson from the passage. What does this mean to me? How does this passage instruct me to live? And there's nothing wrong uh, with asking those questions. Nothing at all. But they are not the first nor the most important question that we should be asking when we read the scriptures. The first and the most important question that we always ask whenever we read the scriptures is a theological question. In other words, what is the Christological significance of this passage I'm reading? How does this passage reveal Jesus Christ and his saving work? That's the first question. That's the most important question. Then, by and by, we get on to, okay, what does this mean for me in my life today? Our parable today of the Good Samaritan is perhaps one of the best examples that I could use to uh, illustrate what I'm talking about here because it has a very obvious moral message for us. But it has an even more profound Christological revelation. Now Jesus tells this parable in response to a lawyer. When we say lawyer, we're not thinking of, you know, Mark. Where's Mark? He's not here. Where is he? He's back there somewhere. We're not thinking of those kinds of lawyers. He's a, he's a religious lawyer. He's an expert in the commands of God. He's an expert uh, in the scriptures. So he's that kind of a lawyer. So this lawyer comes and he asks Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit or obtain eternal life? And Jesus uh, tests the lawyer back by asking him a question. Basically saying, you're the expert. You're the expert. You tell me. What does the law say? And the lawyer answers by combining two different passages, one from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus. And he says, and we know full well, we heard it in the baptismal liturgy this morning, uh, love God and love your neighbor with all you got, basically. And Jesus says, good answer. If you do this, you will live. You will have eternal life. Now, just to point out here for a moment, notice the lawyer asked, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds, said, do this and you'll have eternal life. There's no disagreement here between Jesus and the lawyer that something actually must be done in order to obtain eternal life. That's not the problem. Then the lawyer tries to find a loophole. Surprise, surprise. And asks, who is my neighbor? 
Now, Jesus at this point exhibits his normal self-control, humility, and patience, and instead of calling the lawyer a nincompoop, decides to just patiently tell the story of the Good Samaritan. It would be reasonable for us, hearing this parable of the Good Samaritan, to immediately interpret it as a moral tale, an example for us to follow. This is how we should live. We should all be like the Good Samaritan. We read the story, and that's immediately sort of what we go to. And that's not wrong, obviously, but it is not. It is not the primary meaning of the parable. First and foremost, the parable describes not what we must do for God, but rather what God has done for us. Important to this whole passage of Scripture this morning is Luke reveals to us in a very, just a short little phrase, he reveals to us the lawyer's fatal flaw, the source of the whole problem with the lawyer. He says that the lawyer was seeking to justify himself. Now, justify, in English, it might, we, could, we could think of that as, well, he was giving an excuse or a defense, justifying, you know, why he didn't get his homework done. But that's not what it means. That's not the way to take it. He was basically saying, I am righteous. I am just. That's what it means in the context. That's what the word means. The same term used here and translated as just, by the way, it's the same word as righteous. So just think the same thing, just or righteous. Now someone is just or righteous, a human being is just or righteous when they conform to a certain standard. Okay? When they meet a certain standard, we think about justifying the margins of the page. <laughs> when something conforms to a certain standard, they're considered just. What's the standard? The lawyer thought the standard was the law. And he thinks he's keeping the law. Of course, he's doing this whole loophole thing by limiting the, you know, that, that command by you know, shrinking who the neighbors are. That was, by the way, historically, this was an argument in his day about who is really my neighbor. He didn't just make this up on the spot. They talked about this. And um, actually, there's a passage in Sirach that they would appeal to. That's another story. At any rate, he thinks the standard is the law, and he claims he's righteous and that he's just. But the standard is not the law. The standard is not a moral injunction. It's not a set of rules behavior, uh, governing our behavior. The standard of justice and righteousness is a person. And only a person. God is just. God is righteous. God alone is just. And God is not just or righteous because he abides by some standard. There is no external standard to God. He himself is the standard. This is just a word that we use. You know, we're human beings. We have to use words. Just remember that. <laughs> we use a word. We're trying to describe something with these words. Just or righteous. It's just a word we use to describe God as he is in himself. There's no other primary reference for what is righteous. God as he is in himself. The moral law that we 
have in the scriptures and written on our hearts and in nature and all about us simply describes and helps us to understand how someone behaves, what they look like, what they're like, when they're like God. This is what it looks like, fleshed out, when you are like him. And so laws are not righteous, God is righteous. We might say something's righteous, but what we mean is it's righteous only in as much as it reflects like a mirror reflects what God is really like. The only way to become righteous is to become like God. And the only way to become like God is to become his offspring. If you're going to be, you know, a duck, you have to be born of a duck. And if you're going to be a son of God, you have to be born of God. You have to participate in his divine nature. And you must be born by the Spirit which Leo was this morning, which Leo, by the way, did not ask for. This was thrust upon him. So becoming righteous, which is demonstrated in infant baptism probably better than in any other example, is truly a gift of God. Truly a gift of God in Leo's life. Now, living in that righteousness is going to require Leo's cooperation with the Holy Spirit because being made righteous never involves force. It requires our participation by faith. I said earlier that the parable is not primarily a moral tale, that it is foremost Christological. It reveals what God has done for us in Christ. So it's... It does tell us how to behave, but that's not the primary interpretation. It's telling us what God has done for us in Christ. Now, this is how the fathers interpret this parable. Now, firstly, you might be surprised to learn that you are not the good Samaritan in the parable. Okay, surprise, surprise, because that would be the first thing that I would think. He's telling me how I need to be the good Samaritan. Well, you do need to be the good Samaritan, but that's secondary. In the parable as it stands, you are not the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is telling us a story about himself as the good Samaritan. You and I, we are the man who's beaten, robbed, and left for dead. We're the man who went down. Adam and his descendants who went down from Jerusalem, the city of peace, on the mountain, we went down into Jericho in the valley of sinful passion. Going down, we fell among thieves who beat and stripped us bare. These are the demons. Then the priest and the Levite passed by. They represent the inadequacy of the law and the prophets to bring true salvation and healing. Finally, the Samaritan. The Samaritan who is Jesus Christ comes from a distant place, from far away. He leaves his majesty on high, and he comes down to where we are, and he was counted, what? By his own people, he was counted an outcast and a Samaritan, they called him. And he pours oil and wine, his mercy and forgiveness in for our healing, the oil of the Spirit and the wine of his blood. Leo received the oil, and he's about to receive the wine. Then he places the man, the broken, the broken man on his beast. 
The fathers tell us this is representative of how the Logos, the eternal Son of God, carried our human flesh and sins upon his own person, took them to his own self. The Logos became like the beast of fallen man in order to redeem us. He carried us like this beast. And he brought him to the end, saying, John Chrysostom says, the church is the end which in the journey of this world receives the weary and those that are overcome by the weight of their sins. Casting aside the burden of sin, the weary traveler may rest here. In the kingdom of God, in the church, we may rest and be restored with healthful food. And this is what is meant by he took care of him. The innkeeper is instructed to care for the Samaritan I mean, for the, for the beaten man until the Samaritan returns, which is Christ's coming again, his parousia. The innkeeper are the apostles and their successors, those shepherds who have been given charge and responsibility to care for our souls. So that's the primary meaning of this parable. That's the Christological meaning of the parable. The moral lesson is that we've been made children of God, brethren of Christ, and we are now to be who we are and imitate him and do as he did. Love as he loved. But the real meaning is about Christ. And it's always, always about Christ. The lawyer asked, what must I do? And Jesus said, this is what you must do. There's no disagreement there. But something must be done. You must be righteous. You must be righteous. If your righteousness does not surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, you have no part in the kingdom of God. I guarantee you, this lawyer kept the, the, the letter of the law better than anybody in this room. We must be righteous, and that's not just on paper. It's in truth. It's not just some legal standing. It's real. We must really, in our essence, and in our behavior, become Sons of God, participate in the holiness of God and its divine nature. The problem arises here for the Pharisee when he seeks to justify himself. We cannot justify ourselves any more than a, a rock could throw itself in the river. It is God who justifies us in Christ, who became man and died and rose again. We are justified by his work by his gift, alone. But we do have to live in that reality. We have to cooperate with it. Just saying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. We actually add the catalyst to the gift. Now that sounds a little bit like I'm skating close to the edge there for some people, not for Orthodox people, but for some people. Well, I'll just remind you, Jesus said, I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What in the world did he mean by that? It's not as if that, the sufferings of Christ were inadequate or not pure and holy and perfect. But there was something missing. Your cooperation. Your cooperation. Your yes to God. Your obedient love is lacking from the sufferings of Christ. He can't provide that. Only you can provide that. To be a 
person of faith means, and actually this, I have about four more sentences. You can ignore everything I've said so far if you want. This is actually what I wanted to say to you today. But I just got carried away when I started writing these other things. To be a person of faith is to be a faithful person. You said yes to God. Presumably, most of you, I know, said yes to God. You said yes to God once. But when things get tough or boring or mundane or whatever, does your yes become a a maybe? Uh, Not now? Uh, Kind of yes? To be a person of faith means to be a faithful person. It means to show up and pay your vow. Not much of that kind of preaching anymore. You have a duty before God to show up and pay your vow. That's what it means to be a person of faith. It means to be faithful in the Christian life, in the history of the church, of God's people, both Jews and Christians. There is absolutely no distinction between being a person of faith and being a faithful person. What must I do? This is what we must do. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.